0: And if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses um, as we have for the last few weeks, mainly zooming in on verses 5 through 7, but we'll go ahead and read um, 3 through 10, um, just to kind of get a running start and some context for the passage. So verse 3 starts, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the fact that we can come to it each week, that we can uh, read it and that we can see who you are through it, that we can um, see this objective um, uh, testimony of, of who you are and who your son is, of who we are. Um, of what you have called us to, of of the great problem um, that we have of of sin and rebellion in our lives, and the great solution um, that you have uh, made for us um, through your Son, Jesus. God, we ask that as we dig into this passage and and really dig into this single word, um, this word steadfastness, tonight, um, that you would open up um, your word to us, that you would use the things that that we say and hear, um, to conform our hearts to the image of Jesus Christ That you would sanctify us through your spirit And make us more like him um, in this time God, we know that if your spirit does not move um, That the word will land on our hearts um, uh, The way you talk about in the parable of the four soils God, we don't want that word to land on our hearts And be and be taken away by Satan um, And have no effect, God God um, But at the same time, God, we don't want that word to just plant in our hearts and sprout up quickly and then wither or even grow up. Um, into a strong plant and yet fail to bear fruit. That's what we see in this passage in Second Peter, that, that growing in these things that we're talking about make us fruitful in the faith, that make us fruitful in our lives. And so we ask that you would do that, that you would make this passage effectual to us, um, that it would cause us um, to draw closer to Christ and bear more fruit in our lives. Um, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Um, so we're going to kind of just jump right in um, to the passage. I'm not going to do a whole lot in terms of introduction or or whatever, but we've been talking about these um, uh, this section in this Lenten season, right? Lent is is the time between um, the the, the 40 um, days leading up to Easter. And historically in in the church, it's been a time of self-reflection and a time to focus in on spiritual disciplines, a time to serve, a time to repent, um, a time of self-denial. And so we've been zooming in on this, these verses 5 through 7 that talk about our growth in sanctification, our growth in godliness um, in these different uh, qualities and characteristics. And so we began with with this idea of saying we start with faith, and we start by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then we add to that virtue. Then to that virtue, we add knowledge. Then to that knowledge, we add self-control. Um, and then today we are looking at the idea of adding to that self-control steadfastness. And so just as self-control... Um, has this this uh, sense of progression right it is, it is this thing that is added to it um, perseverance um, is is so too it is this sort of next piece, and it makes sense um, how it fits into the to the picture right um, as we as we become believers as we have faith, then we immediately our lives we recognize the need to change our lives that, that certain things have to be put away with. Right. And then very quickly after that, we say, I want to grow in knowing who this God is, um, that, that has changed my life and come into my life. But then, then very quickly after that, we start realizing, man, I'm, I've still got some of these things that that these, these nagging sins that hold me back. I I need to, uh, I I wish I had more self-control and we recognize the need for that. Now we come to this idea of perseverance in some translations or steadfastness in, in other translations. And it's that idea of faith, for the long haul. All right. It is faith um, over a, a long period of time. Perseverance is similar in a lot of ways. It's related to patience. Um, and I think probably we can immediately see the connections between perseverance and patience. And I probably it's the case that we've all noticed something about patience. So and we joke about this. Right. Um, if you pray for patience, what's going to happen? Right. God is going to give you Uh, reasons to be patient, right? So if you pray, God, man, I wish you would make me more patient. That will be the day that you drop a gallon jar of honey on the floor or something like that, right? And it busts everywhere. Um, When you pray for patience, that will be the day that your car won't start, even though you spent the entire previous day working on it and you thought you had gotten everything fixed about it, right? That will be the day that the Taco Bell drive-thru takes 30 minutes, right? Actually, that's every time you go. It doesn't matter if you pray for patience or not, but um, that's what happens, right? You pray for God to make you more patient and he will give it to you. Right? But he will give it to you by putting you in situations that test your patience, that make your patience grow. Well, here's the thing. Perseverance, steadfastness is no different. Right, The only way you can learn perseverance is to have something to persevere through. And so steadfastness and perseverance require conflict. They require difficulty, trial. Some kind of hardship. And the cool thing is, is as we read the scriptures, we notice something that perseverance is a central characteristic of the Christian life. Right, it is it is a it is a primary kind of thing um, that that should that should signify a person whose life has been changed by Christ. It is pervasively mentioned as you read the scriptures, continually not only commanded for commanded to us, but it's also prayed for. Right, so all through the scriptures you see God commanding us to persevere, and then you also see people in the scriptures, obviously Paul asking that God would make us. Persevere; That he would help us to persevere. And you find that all throughout the scriptures. And again, it should be evident to us in light of that, that if the Bible commands us to persevere, there must be something to persevere through. And so life is going to be marked by almost continuous conflict in some way. Right. Whether that is internal conflict in terms of our our life and and spirit and mind and stuff, or whether that is actually things going out around us. Right. We live in a fallen world, um, a world that is full of fallen people. And so that means things are going to try us. Right. Um, Our our perseverance and our patience are going to be tried. And that's a that's a common thing. And so I feel like, for one, that is one of the great misunderstandings from the outside of Christianity looking in, right? It's one of the great misunderstandings about the Christian life, and it's hard to explain it to a lot of people. Because oftentimes the case is um, somebody will say, you know what, M- my life's difficult. There's, there's a bunch of problems in my life or whatever. You know, I think I'm, I'm going to go become a Christian. I'm going I'm to turn to Jesus, and then that'll fix all of my problems, right? Everything will get cleared up after that. And in some ways, that's certainly true, right? When you turn to Christ and trust in him and begin to follow him, there are many kinds of difficulties that immediately just kind of start. Um, you don't have to deal with as much, right? There, maybe there's difficulties brought into your life by specific sins. And all of a sudden, you don't find yourself having to struggle with those things because you have turned to follow Christ. And yet, at the same time, what is harder to get across to people sometimes is Deciding to follow, follow Christ means you are stepping into a war, all right? You are enlisting into a war that is going on. Following Christ means enlisting in a life of conflict. Conflict that is going on uh, in our own hearts and lives. Conflict that is going on in the lives of people around us. Conflict that is going on in the world at large. That's just the way it is. The the word steadfast, right? Um, When you you break that word down, like you listen to what it means and it starts giving us an idea about what we're talking about when we're talking about perseverance, right? So stead, um, stead means place. Like at first when I was reading, I thought I've always thought of stead, meaning I thought it meant like stay or something like that or stand. But it it means place, right? It's the same way we use the word homestead. So when you, you talk about a homestead, what are you talking about? You're talking about a home place. Okay, and so stead, place, and fast, again, we don't use the word the same way, Um, fast is not talking about moving quickly, right? Fast is about, it means fixed, it means stationary, it means something that is bolted down and attached, alright? And so, um, you, you remember the movie Master and Commander. I love, love the, the that sort of Napoleonic era, big sailing ships and, and, the British war with, with Napoleon and everything. And there's this movie called Master and Commander. There's this old grizzly dude and he's the cool old guy that's on the ship and he's got the words, hold fast, tattooed across his knuckles, right? So that when he's grabbing something and he's like trying to hold onto it in the middle of the storm, like there's several scenes where you see him holding and gritting his teeth and it says, hold fast. And you're like, yeah man, I want to be that guy. I'm going to get hold fast tattooed on my knuckles. And then I don't. Um, But when when it says hold fast, it doesn't mean hold quickly. Right. It means hold fixedly, hold attachedly, hold firmly. And so when we talk about steadfastness, we're talking about being fixed to a place. Right. We're talking about standing in a place, being connected to a position and not being movable from that. Um, Years ago, the the president of Southern Seminary, Al Mohler, who um, took over the seminary, the first commencement address that he gave, um, the title of it was, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. All right. So he sort of flips the phrase around. Um, But there was a purpose to that. He was talking about the idea that um, he was returning the seminary to a confessional statement saying we are going to stand on the principles of Scripture put forth in our confessional statement. And so we don't want to be a school that's just doing stuff. We want to be a school that's standing there, that's being steadfast. And so that's the exact idea that we're talking about. And so we notice, again, if the Bible is so concerned with us persevering, if the Bible is so concerned with us standing there, with holding fast, with persevering, then it must be because it expects many things to come into your life that will make you want to run away and make you want to let go. Right? That's just the way it is. These things are par for the course. All right? Let me say it again. Things that make you want to let go and run away are par for the course. They are what you should expect out of your normal life. If there's nothing in your life that is making you say, I want to run away, I want to let go, then something's probably wrong, right? You're probably not doing it right. You're probably too comfortable in your life. Because that's what the Christian life is about. Um, John Piper says it like this. He says, frustration is normal. Disappointment is normal. Sickness is normal. Conflict, persecution, dangers. They are all normal. The mindset that moves away from these will move away from reality and move away from the cross. And then get this, the last the last line there, he says, Golgotha was not a suburb of Jerusalem. All right, if, if they don't light your candle, you need to check your wick, okay? All right, Golgotha was not a suburb of Jerusalem. These things are normal right? A life of difficulty, a life of trial is what we should expect. The scriptures even teach us to rejoice in those sufferings, right? Not sufferings for their own sake, but what does it tell us? It says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope Will not put us to shame, right? That's the, that's the attitude that we should have. We must be tested. And guess what? I'll go ahead and tell you if you don't realize this. It's coming. All right? It's coming. I don't know what's going on in your life. You may be in, in a smooth spot right now. But testing is coming because that's what we're told to expect, maybe in your faith, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your vocation, maybe in your family, maybe in your friendships, but you in those things will have the opportunity to be steadfast, to persevere through them, to hold the line, or you will have the opportunity to retreat or to recede or to fall back or to fall away. That's the picture that we have. And yet, what does James tell us in chapter 1 of his, of his letter? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Right? That's the promise that we have if we will remain true and steadfast through trial. And so again, one day, who knows what will happen in this country? One day in this country, or maybe in your life, some of you may end up on the mission field one day you will be faced with persecution of some kind. And again, we have to make that decision every single time. Will that persecution lead us to hold on, or will that persecution and trial lead us to let go? But the truth is is this, perseverance isn't just for the mission field, right? Um, it isn't just um, for the really difficult things that we think about and see in life. Because here's, here's something fascinating. I, I heard a Christian, um, a Christian, Chinese Christian pastor uh, in China um, who was talking about the, the experience of his church, right? And, and he was saying while his church had undergone a certain amount of persecution... Right? Um, danger and, and, and even death in some cases. Um, and those were certainly things that had tested his church. He also made the comment they tended to refine his church, right? He noticed that it made his church stronger, even though those things were difficult to go through and to persevere through. And then he said this. He said he would be more concerned for his congregation if they lived in a context like America if they lived in a context like western christianity because he would be more, he said he was more concerned about his people if they were to live lives of comfort and of ease and of relatively little suffering And so we realize something in that, right, that just because we are not daily being persecuted for our faith or something does not mean that perseverance is not something that we have to deal with on a regular basis, right? Because not only do we have to persevere through our sufferings, but we have to persevere and remain faithful through our abundance, Right? We have to persevere and remain faithful, and maybe it's even more dangerous, right? At least according to this pastor from, from China. Um, it may even be more dangerous and more seductive for us as people um, who deal with, with abundance instead of suffering. We have to be diligent even in those things. And so so not only, I want to talk about that kind of for a second, the idea that we don't just persevere in adversity, we persevere in prosperity. Blessing and prosperity, while they may not be bad in and of themselves, we have to recognize that they're dangerous, right? We have to recognize that at a level, they are a liability, Right? When the Bible says it is harder for a rich man, um, to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, if you think about that passage, at the very least, what you have to say is that we recognize that wealth and privilege and, and position and status and things are at least a liability, right? There's something that we're going to have to recognize could have adverse effects on us. Doesn't mean they're intrinsically bad. Doesn't mean you'll use them in a sinful way. It just means that you need to be extra on guard because you're going to have issues that you wouldn't have if you didn't have those things in your life. Part of the problem is is that those things, prosperity and wealth and whatever else, they make us numb, right? They lull us into a false sense of what life is really like. Okay? And so what ends up happening is we become um I, I'll 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 coin a phrase, I think I'm coining anyway. We become let them eat cake Christians. Okay? And so you know the, the the sort of the legend, I don't know if it's exactly true or not, but the story of Marie Antoinette and the people were starving, the French people were starving, and here she was in her palace with all these things and an an official came in and said, um, you know, your highness, the, the people are starving, they don't have bread. And then she said, "Well, let them eat cake then." Um, because in her head, she was like, if your if your, your house is, doesn't have any bread in it, well, let them eat one of the other things that are in the house, like cake. That'll be fine. And again, some people say that that's mythic and it, it didn't actually happen or there was a different context. But the, the story is typically told. It's the idea that she had no understanding because of her um, secure and sort of cloistered life. She had no understanding what it was really like to be out there in the world, to be out on the streets and having to, to fend for, your, for yourself in terms of all these things. Right. Privilege and wealth can do that to us. Sometimes we start looking around and we go, man, I, I don't I don't realize what the world is really like. And the dangers that are out there. And the, and the hard thing about it, too, is not only do we become people who um, are are in numb, but, but with those privileges, we kind of become entitled, right? We start thinking that this is the normal way things should be. And the interesting thing, when we think we're entitled to something, we start trying to protect it, right? And we start trying to protect it at whatever cost. We start saying, I'm going to make sure I keep this thing, this prosperity, let's say, this thing that I think that I'm entitled to, no matter the cost. And in our effort to protect that ease or that comfort, we forget something, and that is sometimes choosing difficulty, choosing discomfort, choosing even danger sometimes, is morally right and biblically normal. All right? Let me say that again. Sometimes choosing danger and discomfort is morally right and biblically normal. The Bible would expect us and command us to do that. And so uh, you can think of any kind of circumstance, the, the, the obvious ones. I've known several people in my, my lifetime. We have some friends or, um, who, are, who are currently um, serving in uh, the Middle East right, as missionaries. And they left to go to the Middle East into a context that is relatively hostile to outsiders while she was pregnant with her first child. And, of course, many people on the outside are looking in going, y'all are crazy. Right? This is absurd that you would do this. Why would you put your child and your life and your lives in danger by going into this 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 context among a people who hate you as westerner as a westerner, hate you probably even more as a Christian and yet you're going to minister to them? That's crazy. That's foolishness, right? And the answer is no, it's actually what the Bible would call us to do in many cases. Um, it would say that we are called to take the gospel into dangerous places, even at the risk of our own safeties, maybe even at the risk of our own families' safeties. Okay? I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm not saying that every single Christian has to do that or anything. But what I'm saying is I think they were being obedient to God while the rest of the world, including much of the church, thought they were fools. And yet choosing danger was the morally right and the biblically normal thing to do. Many good things um, are n- don't make our life easier, right? Many things that are good for us don't make our life easier. We get into situations where we, you know, we talk on a regular basis about what we wear and about food and about toys and about houses, um, and we talk very little or at least in few places about the kingdom and what Christ is doing Um, In in different places and how we can be a part of that and the truth is That's not a good thing, right? It points to the fact that we've been lulled into a false understanding of the way the world is and and the things that are going on out there in the world And so I don't think the answer is necessarily to reject wealth and become a hermit somewhere, right? You don't have to go dig a hole and, and live in it. That's not necessarily what god is is asking us to do, um, but we also must not let that prosperity or comfort be our focus, right? We have to be kingdom focused, and it may mean that we have to lay those things down at different times. One more illustration, I, I, I remember hearing a family who had just adopted a child from Haiti and um, they they lived in a two bedroom house with two bathrooms or whatever, and they already had a child, and and they thought we would like to adopt this child from Haiti, but you know we really don't have much of a house for it, we don't have the space for it, and things like that, and so, but they decided they would go about the process and start investigating and, and finding out what was going on, and, and the orphanage that they were looking at. Um, they said they went down and visited, and they were shown the, one of the sleeping rooms, right? And that there was there was a room about the size of one of their bathrooms that had bunks built into the wall five high, and that there were ten kids that lived in a room about the size of their bathroom. And then all of a sudden they went, our perspective on what we have is relative, right? If a kid can live in a bathroom with ten other people, we can probably find space... For one more kid in our two-bedroom house, right? And so again, it's, it's, it's not saying that everybody has to do that, but it is saying our level of prosperity, our, our relative level of these things, begins to lull us and make us confused about what the, the status of the world actually is. And so maybe this is the question that we could ask ourselves. Has my prosperity blinded, to, blinded me to what's actually normal? Do I look at my life and say, yeah, I've got a normal life? Or has what I've got blinded me to what is actually normal in the rest of the world? Okay? And so, um, so we see this thing. We've got perseverance in adversity. We've got perseverance in prosperity. But there's one more key thing that we have to think about per- perseverance. Um, one more place that we find it necessary, um, to, to, live in a in a persevering way. And it may be just as hard as those other places because I will bet that many of us would not character, characterize our lives by either of those two things, right? We would not look at our lives and say, man, I'm going through intense suffering or, or I'm going through some kind of elevated level of prosperity. Um, we're not bearing up under uncommon difficulty. We're not lavishing in our lifestyles or something like that. Um, the truth is, is that for most of us, a lot of times, I think we're just sort of plodding along, right? We're just living our lives. We're working a job. We are knee deep in a long obedience in the same direction. All right. And the truth is, is this what happens in that, you know, in, in, in the normal rhythms of work and life and family and community, what happens is a lot of times we end up getting bored, right? All of a sudden we look to our lives and we think, man, I'm just, I'm kind of bored with whatever, um, I'm bored with my life, I'm bored with my work, I'm bored with my place, I'm bored with my family, I'm 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 bored. We have to recognize that the world has taught us that we should always be excited. Right. We should always be living this kind of life that is energetic and fun and fulfilling and 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 all these things. Right. The world has said this is what is expected. This is the normal life. And if you aren't living that life, then something's wrong. Right. Um, something is wrong with you or wrong and you should change things around and get it right. Um, you know, millennials. Right. You get a lot of flack. OK. Um <laughs> Uh, sometimes for me, admittedly, but, um, you get a lot of flack. And one of the things that often is said about millennials is they'll say, oh, millennials are lazy, right? You hear people all the time. Oh, millennials are lazy, right? You know, you can't get anybody to work anymore because millennials are lazy. I honestly don't think that's true. I don't think millennials are lazy. Okay. Here's what I do think. And it's maybe just as bad. So don't get excited. I don't think millennials are lazy. I think you're proud. All right. I think a lot of millennials are just proud. And the truth is, is, it's not about millennials only. It's about Gen Xers and everybody else. There's lots of things in our lives that we look to and we go, you know what, I don't want to work that job. I don't want to do that thing because I'm better than that. Something That's not any fun. I want something that's funner and more energetic and exciting and fulfilling. And I want to feel better about it. I don't want to take that job that's just whatever. Um, I want to feel more than that. Right? And here's, here's the, the, the crazy thing. You know, have you ever noticed in, in romantic comedies, every man is an architect and every woman is an event planner or a fashion designer? Right? Like, go through and count them. Like, you can go through the movies and go, like, architect, 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 architect. Fashion designer, fashion designer, event planner, fashion designer, right? Why? Because both of those jobs seem like fun, exciting, lucrative, um, artistically fulfilling kind of jobs, right? They're the kind of jobs that everybody wants, right? Nobody's ever a ditch digger in a movie, okay? That, that, that never happens. But the reality is is this, man. We need somebody to make widgets. Somebody's job has got to be widget making in life, and you know what? That doesn't mean you have to make widgets for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean when an opportunity not to make widgets comes along that you can't take that opportunity and, and see what happens. It doesn't mean that you can't pursue promotions. It, can't, it, can't, um, it doesn't mean that you, that you um, can't seek out other jobs or something like that. But the truth is that being in a mundane time of life is common. And moreover, it's no excuse not to continue and persevere in the faith. Right? You can't just look up one day and say, I'm bored, so I'm going to start doing dumb stuff that is contrary to the Word of God because I'm not living my best life right now, and I want to be living it, so I'm going to do these things. Right? The battle for perseverance is in the mundane, too. It's in the suffering, it's in the joy, but it's also in the mundane. Right? We have to persevere, and you don't have to be on the mission field to do it. You don't have to be marching on Washington To be in a situation where you need to persevere. The battle is here. And the battle's in our hearts, and the battle's in our minds, and the battle's in our faith, and the battle is around you every single second of the day. And so the truth is, I think we get lost in the mundane, right? We get lost in the mundaneness of work life and family life and and, and, and normal social life. And oftentimes, in the process of that, we wander. Right. All of a sudden we get lost and we look up one day and we realize I let go and I walked away and I don't know how I got here. Like, I don't know how I ended up in this place. But the truth is, is the mundane is where we spend most of our lives. We should probably get used to it. And there's beauty and there's glory in the ordinary. And so we shouldn't look past that. We shouldn't pretend like we should. We're always looking for something better. It's one of the reasons why I love Tolkien, right? And one of the reasons why I love C.S. Lewis. Because you have these stories about people who are going on these epic adventures and joining epic armies and fighting dragons, and yet what happens in the stories? All they want to do is get home to their gardens and their pubs, right? That's all they want to do, man. Um, They're in the midst of the things that everybody thinks they want, right? And they say, man, I just want to go home. I just want to go back to my normal life. I want to go back to my everyday kind of life, right? I love that. That's one of the, re- the things that draws me to those stories. And so every moment is sacred, and moreover, every moment is a battle. It's a battle to persevere in the midst of, of the mundane. Let me close on this, just one more thought. Um, there's a poem by Dylan Thomas called Do Not Go Gentle, into that good night. You know it? Is anybody familiar with it? It popped up again a couple of years ago because of the movie Interstellar. Um, it was in the preview to Interstellar, and it seems like there was a part in the movie where, where he talks about the poem or whatever, and it, and it kind of popped, it popped up. Um, it's about perseverance in a way, um, it's about holding tight and fighting till the end, right? Fighting to the last. And so the first part of the poem goes like this it says, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Right. And so what the, song, uh, the poem is about is, is when Dylan Thomas's father was dying, um, he was there with his father and he, and he had seen his father be this man of virility all his life and now he was weak and he was crumbling and his health was failing. And it's basically a poem about how he says, I want to see my dad fight till the end. Like I don't want to see him give up. I want to see him fight and persevere till the very end. And there's that idea to rage against the dying of the light, right? To rage against it. I love the poem. Okay? It resonates with something masculine in me, right? Like there's just this thing inside you that goes, "Yeah, man, I want to rage against the dying of the light, you know. I want to fight till the, the till till the end of my life." Okay? But here's the thing. While it resonates, the sentiment is not exactly Christian. Okay, it's it's not it's not precisely a Christian sentiment, right? In that poem, there's this white knuckled kind of defiance, right, of suffering, um, this white knuckled defiance of suffering or opulence or boredom, right? This idea of fighting the end. But here's the deal: we don't just persevere to be hardcore. All right, We don't just persevere because we want to, to fight to the end. As Christians, we persevere because we have a hope. All right, We persevere because we know that God is coming to reign. And he is coming to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so, without that hope then what we find out is our perseverance actually is not godly. Our perseverance becomes empty, and in a way it becomes idolatrous. We start making that perseverance actually about us and how strong we are and how resilient we are and how um, we, we stuck to things or whatever. It exalts man's strength is what it ends up doing, and it focuses the attention away from God and onto us. That's not the kind of perseverance we have. We have a perseverance that ends... In hope, we have a perseverance that sees something ahead and say, I'm holding on not just to hold on. I'm holding on because if I can hold on, there's something better coming. Isaiah tells us what that better thing is, what that future holds for those who trust in christ the future where trials those sufferings will be no more where the blessings of prosperity will be free from all these temptations that we've talked about and where the beauty of our daily lives will be enjoyed forever and so he says this for behold i create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall be no more remembered or come to mind But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall, build, they shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. That's the promise that we have. If we know Jesus Christ and trust in Him for our life, salvation, and eternity. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before this time, um, God, I thank you for your word, and I pray for these people. I pray for myself that we would be people of perseverance, that we would be people who are steadfast in our faith, that we would stand fixed, that we would have a place that is attached and secure and that that place would be Jesus Christ himself, that we would cling to Jesus Christ, knowing that he is clinging to us, that he is holding us tight, that he is seeing us through the difficulties And that we have a hope and a future because of who he is and what he has done. God, help us in all of these places. For those of us who are suffering and going through a time of difficulty right now, God, help us to see that one day that suffering will be gone. For those who are living in prosperity right now, God, help us to not be tempted and drawn away by that, but help us to use those things for the furtherance of your kingdom. And God, for those of us who are just doing life, God, who are doing that long obedience in the same direction, God, help us to recognize the beauty and the glory and the opportunity that we find in every single moment of our lives. As again, we seek to be um, agents of your kingdom in this world. We love you. We praise You. We thank You for all Your many blessings. But most of all, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.